This message by Zach Varnell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Zach serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. We are continuing our series in Acts today. You can open up to Acts chapter 5. And to set the context very briefly, the church is growing. This new church, it's, it's enjoying powerful signs and wonders that accompany the message that the apostles are proclaiming. This message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And many people are coming to faith. The church is growing. And it's in that context that our verses begin starting in verse 17 Acts chapter 5 this is God's word for us today it's a gift from him verse 17 but the high priest rose up and all who were with him that is the party of the Sadducees and filled with jealousy they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison but during the night An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering, what what would this come to? And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, 
Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Church, it is an unspeakable honor to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Jesus said that if the world hates you, no, it hated him first. He said, if, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. A servant is not greater than his master. And yet, although we are promised persecution, it is an incredible honor to be his witness. I'm so thankful these apostles did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And may, by the grace of God, may we always do the same, no matter what comes. You know, the history of the church, it's a history of heroes. It's inspiring to study those who've gone before us. It, it, the history of the church is a history of God's preserving the church through his witnesses. Those who've witnessed to him, those who have suffered for him. Persecution is only going to increase as we proceed through the book of Acts. Stephen is killed for his testimony just two chapters from now. The first three centuries in Rome specifically were horrific for the early church. They experienced all forms of imprisonment and maltreatment, hate crimes that were ignored by officials, even administered by officials. By the third century, what, what had been intermittent, intermittent and, and sporadic outbreaks against Christians, it became a systematic form of oppression against the church. Thousands of th upon thousands of Christians were martyred. The emperor Diocletian sought to stamp out the church altogether. Churches were burned. Christians were arrested and tortured and killed. Some we know about. Some have these amazing stories of their witness and their faith even unto death. 
But so many of them we don't know about. History has forgotten, yet the Lord knows everyone. Even after Christianity was established as the recognized religion, persecution and oppression remained. Still today. Especially in communist Hindu Muslim countries, the church is harassed. But we need not fear for its survival. John Stott says. He says this, persecution will refine the church, but not destroy it. If it leads to prayer and praise, to an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God and of solidarity with Christ in his sufferings, then however painful, it may even be welcome. Jesus told us in Acts chapter 1 that you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's what's beginning and happening in our story, in our text this morning. And in God's goodness, it continues now. It is such an honor to be a witness for Christ And may the Lord help us do it. I think that's the main point this morning. Gladly witness for Christ, no matter the cost. Three points we're going to look at this morning as witnesses for Christ. Number one, endure and expect opposition. Look back at verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. One of the key texts in this whole account is that phrase at the end of verse 17. They were filled with jealousy. Tensions are rising. You know, this is a similar story to the one in chapter 4 where Peter and John are arrested. But here the language is much more emotional. Tensions are Heightened opposition to the gospel is growing as the gospel advances. Not just Peter and John are arrested, but all of the apostles. And the motive of the Jewish leaders, it's made clear, jealousy. They're filled with jealousy. They're jealous of the great power at work in this church. These, these signs and these wonders. They're jealous of the influence of the apostles. Jealous of all that's being done in Jesus' name. Verse 14 says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. The high priest, this is what's happening. This group of people, this high priest and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they were seeing their supposed influence and power and authority over the people slipping through their hands and being given to these unimpressive, uneducated apostles. There's a transition of leadership on display. God's true people led by God's true shepherds who genuinely love and care for these people. I I think it's a good moment to pause and consider the blinding and destructive nature of jealousy. Proverbs 6 says, Jealousy makes a man furious. He will not spare when he takes revenge. By its very nature, jealousy is destructive. It it blinded the leaders of these people. These leaders who were supposed to be shepherds. Who were supposed to care for this people. 
This people who is experiencing healings, miraculous healings and signs and wonders among them. New life they are receiving in Jesus' name. But they weren't excited about that. They resented that the apostles were enjoying what they wanted, influence and favor. Let's hate jealousy in our own hearts. Let's beware of its destructive nature. It blinds us to the grace of God and his work in the lives of other people. Christians are those who are filled with the Spirit, not filled with jealousy. But the high priest and the Sadducees were, and they arrest the apostles and they put them in prison. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Don't you love that? Immediately, immediately God intervenes. And it sets, up, it sets, sets us up. Luke sets us up to receive this point that Gamaliel makes later. If it is of God, it cannot fail. Even in prison. This is first of Three moments in Acts when God opens prison doors. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoners free. That's what he does. God's purposes will not be thwarted. The rulers arrested these apostles publicly, trying to demonstrate their supposed authority and power and position. God rescues them at night in secret. Showing he's the one who's truly in charge. In this moment, it didn't just deliver them and encourage them. God can deliver at any time from anything. Don't miss that. He will accomplish his purpose. This was crucial for them to know in order to be his witnesses. This is crucial for us to know. God can deliver at any time from anything. What's going on in your life where you doubt this? What situations do you face where you wonder, can the Lord actually work here? Does he care to work here? Can he rescue me from this? Does he want to? Can he work in this situation? Can he move in that person's heart just to bring about the change that I've been praying for? Can he bring about reconciliation between us? Can he provide the finances that we so desperately need, the, the healing that we've been praying for, the wisdom we need, for the clarity we need for making decisions? Can he do it? Yes, he can. Nothing is too hard for him. Think back in your life. I know you've, I know you've already experienced it. Even the little things, just the way God provides so perfectly. His planned out good providence for your life. You've You've experienced it. It's a good moment to try to pause and remember those things so that you can take heart. The Lord can and will deliver whenever he sees fit. He will do it. Christian, you wait for him. You know, knowing that reality, it frees us from striving to secure our own safety or our own purposes. We're freed to obey and to pray and to wait. But God delivered them. And as they were delivered, they were commissioned. Verse 20, the angel of the Lord said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. 
It's what they had the, the privilege to proclaim, life in Jesus' name. John 14, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Lord encourages them, don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Don't be afraid. Get back at it. Get back to that temple and speak. Be his witnesses. You know what I love too is, is the, the, the apostles, they don't take a break. You know, they, they don't take a breather. They don't take time to process what had just happened to them. This happened at night. And verse 21 says, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They are right back at it. Right back in the game, it reminded me of this, this scene in the movie Cinderella Man, which portrays this uh, 1935 boxing match between the underdog James J. Braddock and the monstrous champion Max Bear. And Braddock gets beat down a little bit, but over and over he gets right back in there. He just keeps going back into the ring, even smiling at points. The historical accounts writes Braddock saying this about Max Berry. He said, he hit me a couple of times, so I said to him, is that as hard as you can punch? Went right back in. What the high priest wanted to prevent is exactly what the angel of the Lord ordered them to do. Speak. Teach, proclaim. So they do. And then there's this comical moment at the end of verse 21 through verse 26 where they just can't find them. They're not in the prison. Everything is as it should be except the prison is empty. And while they're searching and scratching their heads, someone shows up and says, they're back in the temple. It's a humorous display. They're not in control. God is. And he's bringing about his purposes. So they go again to get the apostles, who, by the way, willingly go with them. Verse 26 says that the Jewish leaders were afraid of the crowds, how they might respond. But the apostles willingly, lawfully, respectfully go with them. They trust the Lord. The high priest said, verse 28, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That's their charge. You know, they had actually forgotten what they had said not very long before this. At Jesus' crucifixion in Matthew 27, they had actually cried out, his blood be on us and our children. As they cried out, crucify him. They are not courageous. They are cowards. These Jewish leaders, they won't even mention Jesus' name. They say this man or this name. But the apostles do not cater to their feelings or their demands. Verse 29, Peter, representing the whole apostle group, says, We must obey God rather than men. They could not deny God's overriding commission, witness. You will be my witnesses. And then this is what Peter says. Look at verse 30 again. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader 
and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They weren't concerned in this moment to defend themselves. They weren't even concerned in this moment to alleviate their accuser's guilt. Their concern was to exalt Christ, to name him Jesus, to magnify him and to testify to his glory. See the contrast of these two groups? Those with the Spirit are courageous and bold and filled with joy. Those without the Spirit are jealous and, 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 and fearful, and as we'll learn in a minute, raging. But those with the Spirit have confidence and joy and boldness. Why? Because they know the words of this life. It's like what the baptism celebrated this morning in, in Jesus Christ, the one who died, the one who was raised by God back to life, in him is repentance and the forgiveness of sin and life found. And in him alone, Peter, Peter does not change the message or adapt the message to make it easier for these religious leaders to swallow or receive. He says, this Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, on the cross, God raised him from the dead. The Old Testament made it clear, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. Peter uses that intentionally. It's atonement language. Yeah, he was cursed. Jesus took our curse, became our curse. He took our curse on himself that we deserve God's wrath for sin. But he was proven sinless and righteousness because God raised him from the dead. And not only that, but God has exalted him as leader and savior. Peter is saying he's the one the whole Old Testament has been pointing to. The prince, the exalted one who sits on the throne of God ruling all things. That's the, that's the picture he's invo evoking in leader. And in calling him savior, He's calling him Lord. Only Yahweh, as Isaiah 43 says, only Yahweh is Israel's Savior. He's no mere man. He's our Lord. He's our leader. He's our Savior. And, and we should pause and marvel afresh ourselves. And calling him Savior, you've got to understand, it reminds us we need saving from something. We need saving from that curse. The wrath of God for sin. Our sin deserve God's righteous wrath. You cannot rejoice in Christ as Savior till you recognize the depths of your sin. But he gives repentance. That's what Peter says. He gives it. He secures the forgiveness of sin. Repentance is a turning from sin. He gives it because his work on the cross was sufficient to save you. So listen, today, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. 
Turn from your sin. Receive forgiveness in Christ's name, who is the Lord, your only Savior. The high priests and the council, they don't receive it. Verse 33, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. It points to how clear the testimony was. Jesus is God. The gospel was advancing. So was opposition towards the gospel. As his witnesses, we have to expect it and endure it. But how do we? Well, that's point two. As, his, as witnesses for Christ, number two, trust that if it is of God, it will not fail. The leaders were enraged, wanted to kill them, but it was not yet their time to die. Verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. It was God's grace for this man to stand up and intervene. Gamaliel was a teacher, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people. In fact, we learn later in chapter 22 that he actually taught Paul. He was a big deal. He was respected. He was wise. The text is is silent about what he actually thought about this message that the apostles were proclaiming. So the point is less about him and what did he actually think. The point's more about God who used him used him and his rationale to bring about his good purposes. He, he talks about there's been historic moments like this, and he names two. Men who had risen up to power and gained a following, but then died and their followers just went away. Their movements came to nothing. So, so if this thing going on right now, if what these apostles are teaching, if this new movement is like that, then it'll fall away. It'll fall away after the death of Jesus. Verse 39, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. He wasn't wrong, was he? Why are we here today? Because this movement was of God. It's not been overthrown. It has not failed and it never will. Why is the gospel unstoppable in the book of Acts? In the midst of some of the worst persecution and oppression, why is it unstoppable? Because it's of God. The gospel is of God. Come what may, God's plans will never fail. Come prison, come beatings, come death. God's plans will never fail fail. Even in the midst of this cultural moment, as the claims of Christ in our day are met with increasing opposition, and as we proclaim truth that our world doesn't want to hear, how does this help us? I think it's encouraging. God's plans will not fail. So let's just keep obeying him. It's safe. We must obey God and not men. I think it even changes our attitudes from what we see going on in our world. It changes our attitudes from, oh no, to, oh wow, what might the Lord be doing? What change might the Lord be bringing? What might the Lord be accomplishing? And how might we be a part? How 
exciting to be a witness for Christ. If it is of God, it can never fail. John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific in the late 1800s. The first two missionaries who ever reached that island, the first two missionaries within, within an hour were killed and actually eaten by cannibals. 48 years later, Patton wrote, Thus, I'm talking about this moment when, when the first two missionaries died there, he said, Thus were the New Herbertes baptized with the blood of martyrs. And Christ thereby told the whole Christian world that he claimed these islands as his own. He gave his life to reaching these people, but it was full of danger, constant threats, and his life was at threat, tons of costs. At one point, he and a man who was working with him were surrounded by angry natives with spears and guns, and each of them were egging the other on to strike the first blow. And yet in that moment, Pat, Patton records in his autobiography, he says this, in that moment he remembers, my heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us. Not a club prevail to strike us. Not a spear leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown. Not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ. Who is all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the south seas. For 41 years, Patton never quit. And the Lord sustained him. He faced danger and tribulation. He never stopped preaching and teaching that the Christ is Jesus. And in God's kindness, the whole island was converted to Christ. If it is of God, it will not fail. So, so what does that leave us thinking? We should want to know, well, what is of God? What is the will of God and his word and his will must be more precious to us than anything else. We want to know what is of God. Well, he gives us his word. Only on his word can we stand confidently. Yes, yeah, sometimes it's going to feel like God's plans are not winning. That evil plans are succeeding, not God's. That's why we must fight for faith. Trust this truth. Nothing is outside of his control. In the long run, he brings all his purposes to bear. Nowhere is this more clear than on the cross where evil and wickedness seem to prevail. But God was at work accomplishing good. God's work, God's purposes will ripen fast. Unfolding every hour, the bud may have a bitter taste. But sweet will be the flower. We can trust him. John Piper says this, Our hope as Christians is not the kind of hope you feel for something you're not sure about. Like I hope there will be peace in the Middle East. Or I hope my cold goes away soon. Christian hope is simply this. God cannot be overthrown. That means God's plans cannot be overthrown. 
That means God's people cannot be overthrown. Tim Keller, a Christian author and thinker who has influenced our church in ways, particularly in our evangelism and apologetics. He went to be with the Lord on Friday after a battle with pancreatic cancer. We actually have his books, uh, some of his evangelism books in the bookstore. and We have one book on prayer and one book on suffering. They are wonderful books in the fight of faith. But he wrote this after he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He, he tweeted this. It is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know. And therein is my hope and strength. Friends, we're going to need courage more and more as we face difficulties and persecutions and opposition that comes from being witnesses for Christ. We're going to need courage. But God's plans cannot fail. So we can endure And our joy and responsibility is to be aligned with him. Lastly, as witnesses for Christ, number three, rejoice to suffer for his name. Verse 40, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They were beaten. It's probably a flogging of some sort, some degree of the 40 lashes minus one that Jesus experienced. And again, they were charged not to teach, not to speak in the name of Jesus. How do they respond? These are some of the most amazing verses in the whole book of Acts. Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus bruised, bloodied, but rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of our Lord. Do you think of suffering like that? Do you think of suffering as something to have the honor of experiencing? But They were experiencing what Jesus taught them in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The gospel was advancing, but so was opposition, yet it did not dishearten them. It fueled their passion to proclaim and their delight to trust in Jesus. It's the first time we actually see the word evangelizing. They kept preaching and teaching that the Christ is Jesus. It becomes a key term for the rest of the book. They never stopped teaching. Let's be so grateful we, we get to proclaim. We, we, ours is not a day of coliseums, especially in our country. As Max Stiles, who's an evangelist, he says, uh, we, we fear more the raised eyebrow than we do the raised fist. Shouldn't we be so grateful? Shouldn't we be so grateful and, and glad to give our lives to declare this message of hope? Don't you want to be like these apostles? <laughs> They made every effort to always preach the gospel, no matter where we find ourselves. What I was convicted about, well, a lot of things, but one thing I was convicted about while preparing this message was in my personal evangelism, I, I love to just, I want to wait for the 
perfect moment. Everything set and comfortable moment for me to actually bring up the message of Christ. And no doubt we need open doors and we ought to be winsome and we ought to be winning and loving and kind and follow the Spirit's leading. That's for sure. But I was just convicted by the phrase, they did not cease to proclaim. Every day, house to house. Seems like there's joy in it. Joy to proclaim, but something else, the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. Suffer dishonor for the name. It's a joy to suffer for Christ. What a change we've seen in these men. From cowering in fear to rejoicing in bold proclamation and suffering. You ever hear stories like, like this or uh, from the early church stories of, of Christian martyrs or heroes and you think, man, I hope I'd respond that way, but I don't know. I hope I'd keep my faith. I hope I'd be a bold witness for Christ. See the power of God on display to transform these men. The Spirit witnesses for Christ, and he does it through us. He enables us. That's what he's doing in our lives. Gives us great hope to endure. In God's wisdom, suffering is part of our calling. God's plan for the proclamation and success of the gospel includes the suffering of those who proclaim it. The apostles rejoiced that they were participating in Christ's suffering. Our opportunity is to do the same. Now this is not a calling to just go out and suffer so that you can be perceived as godly. No, I think the focus on you just go and be godly. Persecution's coming. But take heart. If we're going to follow him faithfully, we are going to suffer. But he, by his grace, will give us joy to do so. Piper again, he says, If you can't destroy the joy of Christians, but only increase it by beating them, then Christians are the most indomitably happy people in the world. May the Lord give us grace to be like that. Happy witnesses for Christ, no matter the cost. We live in a day, this message, our message, the message of Christ is becoming more and more opposed and hated in our world. But you know what? Opposition to the gospel means something's going right. As the gospel advances, opposition increase. So let's make it our zealous goal to always be proclaiming Christ. Enduring it, expecting it, but trusting if it is of God, it will not fail. R.C. Sproul says this, The church of Jesus Christ, though buffeted and assailed on every side and riddled by heresy and persecution, will not fail. It cannot fail. It is the only institution on the face of the earth that has an absolute, unconditioned guarantee for its future success. Not every church or church member, but the true church of Christ will always be victorious. And it cannot be stopped by the conditions of human affairs. Paul said it well. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God give us grace to be faithful 
glad witnesses for Christ, whatever comes. Let's pray for that. Father, our prayer this morning is that you would help us proclaim. Lord, we don't want to stop teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. But we recognize our need for you, and so we ask for your spirit to come and fill us, change us, make us bold, courageous. Help us to endure. Help us count it joy to be counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of your name. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life, opening our eyes and calling us to be your witnesses. Lord, we just ask you, help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful for the good of your church and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Zach Varnell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.